This morning, I want to take our Bibles. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And there is a verse here in the midst of this thought. What's being taught here is the purpose of ministry gifts. But there's a thought, an idea that I want us to really embrace this morning. And then I want us to build on it from there. You'll go to Ephesians 4, the 15th verse in a moment. But let's just be uh, very honest and transparent this morning that there is no greater quality that a friend can possess than that of a friend who is honest. The truth in love is such a valuable thing, but the truth in love, especially in the day and time that we live in, is so very uncommon. I'm 33 years old today, and my generation is plagued with a disease where people feel the need to be told what they want to hear more than they are told what they need to hear or what they even should hear. It's a generation that does not like anything that goes against the grain of my flesh, of my desire, of my idea, and my control. That is the mark of one of uh, the identifiers of our generation. Ephesians 4.15, again, go back into this and understand exactly everything that's being taught here. But in the 15th verse, look what it says. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. There is a direct correlation in godly friendship that honors the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth being spoken in love, A true friend will always tell you the truth in love and then they will tell you the truth in love in a way that honors the friendship. I've got a lot of friends that are here in the building today, people that I love, people that I care about, people who mean the world to me. There's no place I would rather be today even on my birthday than here with you. A lot of good friends in this building, people I love, people I trust. And I want to be a good friend to them. And I'll be honest, I want them to be a good friend to me. I love having good friends, people you can depend on, people you can trust, and people who will tell you the truth in love. Sometimes what I need is not a tunnel where I can repeat whatever's coming out of my mouth and my heart and it be repeated back to me. Sometimes I need a space and a place, often in private, where I can let something come out of my mouth and then that friend loved me enough to tell me, hey, that is a really dumb idea. Hey, that is not what we need to do. Let's think through this and pray through this Together, that is a friend. If you don't have that voice in your life, then you'll get yourself in trouble very quickly. We all need that friend that holds each other to that accountability and that standard to be honest, but to do it in a way that honors the friendship and honors Christ, to do it in love. And there are so many people that I love, so many people that I care about. And the truth is, this is transparency, this is the God's honest truth, they should be here today. I'm thankful for every soul that's in the building. There are very few empty seats, especially over there in that section. There are a lot of people here today, praise God. 
But, but from the bottom of my heart, I, I must share with you that there are some people in my life, acquaintances in my life, friends and even family in my life that should be here in the building with me today. And they all have excuses. Some of them are really good. Some of them are the fact that they have to work today. Some of my friends are firefighters. And I wish they were here today, but if somebody's house burns down, then praise God they're at work today. And they're having to worship with us online. Some of my friends are police officers and they're going to do their job to protect our community day. And they're on a 12-hour shift. And thank God they're in our community protecting us. And thank God for the nurses and the ER staff and the mama helicopter pilots that are on standby today for 24 hours to go anywhere in Western North Carolina to collect someone who's having a myocardial infarction or who's been in a car wreck. Thank God for those people that do their job. And many of them will be worshiping with us online. But there are a lot of people who are at home today that could be here in the building. There's a lot of friends, a lot of family who should be here in the building. And let's be very clear, we're not talking about a legalistic lifestyle. We're not talking about putting them into a box. We're not talking about browbeating people because we didn't see them Sunday morning and Wednesday morning and Wednesday night and Thursday night Bible study. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about the implications of what it means for their life. Amen. When I'm here in this building... I'm here to worship the Lord Jesus, to open my mouth, to praise his name, and then to be fed from the word of God. I'm not here to make myself feel better. I'm not here to check a box of morality. Well, I did my good deed. I went to church. No. When I come in the building this morning, I come in the building and it's like a cell phone battery that's charged at 110%. I've got 100% energy and then I've got 10% energy that I want to give out, that I want to let out of my mouth, let out of my hands, let out of my eyes, that I would just let go and praise the Lord and give from the overflow of my life worship and praise and adoration. And there are some people in my life that should be here enjoying the benefit and the blessing of God, living that spirit-filled life. We're not here to get recharged like a dead battery. If we're living for Jesus and we're reading our Bible, we're praying every day, then we're coming with a fully charged battery to give back to God the praise, the honor, and the glory that He's due. But I've got some friends and family, some acquaintances, some folks that I used to work with, some folks that I used to go to school with, and I wish so bad that they were here with me today enjoying the blessing and the goodness of God. And yes, some of them have really good excuses. Some of them are at work. Some folks today want to be here. They would take your place in a heartbeat. But their body is too sick physically. And they're worshiping, watching a little iPad with trembling hands in a nursing home. Or they're at Mission Hospital in an ICU room and their family members laying there in the bed. And if they had the health and if they could be, they would be here with us worshiping and praising the Lord. But then there are those who have their excuses. And yes, they may mean a lot to them, these excuses. Some of them are pretty simple. Some of them are pretty complex because it involves human emotion. Human beings can get their feelings hurt. Human beings can get to a place where they believe the lie of their own head and their own heart and it not even be reality. Well, those people don't even care about me. 
I'll never be a good church person. I'll never be as good as they are. I'll never live up to that standard. I'll always be an outsider looking in when nothing could be further from the truth. And they've bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker, that they'll never measure up enough to be good church folk. When what you find here at Trinity Baptist Church this morning is not a showroom of beautiful classic cars and trophies, but what you find here this morning is a hospital of broken, sick people who are sinners who have been saved by grace. This showroom belongs to Jesus. We're all in a place where we need Jesus today. But there are some people that I wish were here. My fear, my concern is this, that there are some people here today that should be here. But the reason that they're not here today is because they're believing things that are not true. They are leaning in. They are actually taking a path of life based on things that are not true. Imagine your son or your daughter telling you that they're going to get in their pickup truck or in their car and they're going to drive to New York City and they have a map in their hand, but you look down at the map and you can see that the map isn't right. That map is going to lead them to North Dakota. And they're going to get in their car and you're going to let them go and they think they're headed to New York. But when in reality, they're headed in the polar opposite direction for North Dakota. A lot of our friends are living off of and making decisions for their life based on bad information. Based on lies that have been told to them. Based on lies that have been sold to them. And my heart this morning as a friend is to expose three lies that are being told to my friends. Three lies that are being told to my friends. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, use us now. Use the Word of God. God, expose the liar himself. God, show us truth from your Word. Move in our service. Bind distraction and give us liberty to preach what you've put in our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Three lies that are being told to my friends. Let's ask this question first before we talk about those three lies. Who is doing the lying? Who's being lied to and who is doing the lying? Or better yet, what is doing the lying? Number one, you can understand that the world will lie to you. The world will lie to you. There is a culture in our country especially where truth is being eroded. Where good is being called evil and actually the truth is being called a lie. There is an absolute onslaught, an attack on simple, basic truths. How in the world does a country like the United States of America, to whom God has been so good and who has blessed us so richly, how in the world are we having a discussion nationally in our elementary schools about what to teach our children about boys and girls and the fact that there are boys and that there are girls? How in the world have we come to this place where simple, basic truths that God God made male and God made female. How in the world are we getting that confused? Because there is an attack against truth. How in the world have we gotten it messed up in our minds that somehow police represent some sort of superior force that has no business telling us what to do? Yet in just a few minutes, someone's breaking into our house or someone's pulled us out of our car to hijack or to carjack us. And what do we want to do? We call the police. 
It doesn't even make sense. Our country is absolutely turned upside down on its head as it pertains to truth. Our world, our culture is cultivating a generation where truth is subjective and not objective. There is a right, there is a wrong, there is a good, there is an evil. And all of that links back to the authority of God and who God is and what God is. But even politicians this afternoon will hold podcasts and go on C-SPAN and hold Sunday afternoon commentaries where they will knowingly, blatantly open their mouth and they will lie. And here's the excuse that the American people are spoon-fed. Well, it's his point of view. It's his truth. It's her truth. There is no his truth or her truth or his perspective of truth or her perspective of truth. There is truth and then there is a lie. And we're being set up to believe that it's okay to take truth and make it into something we want it to be. Uh, anything less than truth is simply put a lie. There is cultural pressure. There is political pressure. Your children are being lied to on social media. Boy, this is not popular this morning in this Baptist church. But your children are being lied to on social media. Some folks, uh, listen to me now, in love, you've got people in the school system who have decided to take the word truth and the meaning of truth and make it something that they want it to mean, and they are lying to your children. Thank God for teachers and educators who will stand up for that, the truth, that will teach your children the best that they know how, and teach them the truth. There is a world that will lie to you, that will lie to your children, your teenagers. Secondly, Satan will lie to you. The book of John talks about him as the father of lies. Every lie, every deceit, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell, the first sin. It all begins with a subtle creature known as the serpent who was more beautiful and cunning than any other serpent in the garden. And he begins the entire process by lying to Eve. And now man falls and Satan will lie to you. Thirdly, your flesh will lie to you. The weeping prophet Jeremiah, I think this is the bio, if you will, for our generation. The human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. And then it asks the question, who can know it? Our own hearts, our own emotion. Can I give you some of the most scary language in the human language? I feel this way. I feel that way. If we're not careful, we'll allow human emotion to speak to us things that are not true and we'll believe things about even people uh, and how they feel about us and their perception of us. And before you know it, you have spoken even a lie to yourself. Your flesh, your emotion, that's the condition of humanity. Even your own flesh will lie to you. We have the world that will lie. Satan, the father of lies, that will lie. Your flesh that will lie to even yourself. So what are the lies being told? Lie number one, it's being sold lock, stock, and barrel to this generation, is that God is irrelevant. Lie number one is that God is irrelevant. 
The idea that God is no longer necessary. We are in an age of knowledge and technology that makes God and the system of God irrelevant. The idea that religion is just a crutch. You can go to the universities and the college campuses all across America today and there will be a sociology professor or a theory professor or some professor somewhere on that campus that will look at that student body, whoever's in that class that day, whether it's online or in person, and they will make statements like this. Religion is just for weak people who need a crutch. The idea of God are for weak people who do not have the intellect or the IQ to rise above their need and their emotional stress. Let me offer this to you this morning with all the love of my heart. When Jesus found me, I was absolutely destitute and broken. I could not walk on my own. I could not talk on my own. I couldn't breathe or see on my own. I was a dead man spiritually. And yes, I needed a crutch. I needed a full body stretcher. I needed something to pick me up out of my dead state and shock me to life. And it was the regeneration the Holy Ghost of God who saved me. And yes, I was broken. And yes, I was weak. And yes, I had failed. But praise God, He came to me in my failure, in my disability, and He touched me. God is not irrelevant, number one, because God is God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Understand that God has always been. It's often difficult for us to put this in our mind, but there's never been a time where God was not. Nobody created God. God wasn't just a, a poof, a cloud that came out of space. Uh, God is not some sort of sci-fi creature. He's not drawn up in Hollywood or in Disney. Uh, God has always been, always will be, and he's a great God of great power. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's in every place and every space at all time and has always been. There has never been a moment, there has never been an instance where God was not exactly right there in that place at that time. God has always been in the beginning God. God created the heavens and the earth. How do we make the creator as the creation irrelevant? How does the creation look at the creator and say, you are irrelevant? If it was not for God, you would not exist. If it was not for God, I wouldn't have ground to beat my feet on this morning. If it was not for God, there would have been no tree to cut down to make this beautiful pulpit. If it was not for God, you wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for God, you would have nothing to rejoice in. God is God and will always be God. And he's a God of great relevance. Secondly, there is but one God. God is not irrelevant because God is, but secondly, because God is but one God. There is only one way. There is only one God. You say, well, that's mean and it's, it doesn't include, it's exclusive. You know, we've gotten this idea somehow that the Bible, the truth, the supreme authority is somehow not supposed to offend people. That's, that's not correct. The truth in love may offend. It may step on somebody's toes. 
But boy, howdy, wouldn't you rather know the truth than someone coddle you and cover you in powdered sugar all the way to hell? Wouldn't you love someone to tell you enough what the truth of the Word of God says? Now listen, if you have a problem or an issue where you somewhere separate that the Bible is somehow metaphorical or allegorical or that it's an old text that's no longer relevant, then then we're not going to see eye to eye today. But understand something, this is the holy inspired Word of God. There is no error here. There is no fallibility here. It's perfect and every single word is true. And look what Jesus said, recorded for us thousands of years ago, canonized by the Holy Ghost of God in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Praise God. I think anybody can say, thank you, Lord, the way, the truth, the life. And then he qualifies who he is and what he is with a final statement. Listen to what he says. No man That means no woman, no teenager, no boy, no girl. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is not a far eastern religion that can suffice what Jesus is and who Jesus is. Buddha can do nothing for you. Buddha is dead and he is a sack of bones. Uh, Muhammad the prophet, Allah can do nothing for you. And yes, they have been speaking and teaching and preaching falsehoods since the beginning of time. Allah can do nothing for you. Buddha can do nothing for you. Far eastern religions can do nothing for you. Oneness with mother nature can do nothing with you. Satanism can do nothing for you. All it will get you is an eternity set, separated from God. Jesus said, only by me. You cannot have your cake and eat it too, if you will. There is no fence riding. There is no gray area. Well, I believe Jesus was a good man, but I also think that some of the teachings of Buddha were great. Uh, Whatever. Whatever. Jesus said there is but one way. There is but one truth. There is but one life. God is is not irrelevant because God is still God and God is still the only God. Number three, He's God because He is aware that you exist. And He is aware of your spiritual condition. God is not irrelevant to you because God is aware of who you are. You say, well, I don't participate in the idea of God and religion and Jesus and the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't participate. That's fine. You can choose not to participate, but it does not change the fact that God knows exactly who you are. Amen. And that God knows exactly the condition of your heart. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Good people, God knows about them. Good things, God knows about it. Evil people, God knows about them and evil things. God knows. His eyes are everywhere. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and great of power. His understanding is infinite. God knows exactly who you are. He knows even now in this moment. This ought to just put it all into perspective for you. Right now in this moment... Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're uh, turning over in your head and in your heart, I can't hear it. Probably a good thing. I can't see it on a screen. Probably even a much better thing. But understand in love, here is the truth. God sees and knows and hears everything. Every thought that you've ever thought, God knows it. 
Every thought that you're going to think, God knows it. Everything I've ever said, I've ever done, God knows it. Here's the good news. Even though he knows who I am and what I am and what I was going to say and what I was going to do and what I was going to think, John 3.16 is still the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and his name is Jesus. God is not irrelevant. God is not dead. God is not weak. God is not just for white people. God is not just for elite people. God is not interested in the size of your 401k or what side of town you live on. God is interested in your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit. The lie that God is irrelevant is exposed. And when we expose a lie, the best thing to do is to reveal truth. And that's exactly what this does. God is relevant to every man, woman, and boy and girl in the room. Lie number two, the lie that's being told to our friends and our family. Lie number two, that life doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it is what it is. Life is what it's going to be. And earth, earth, ashes to ashes. I'll live. I'm going to do what I want to do. And at the end of the day, life really just doesn't matter. That's a lie. The truth is life is precious to God. Psalm 127, verse number three. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb, that's every little baby that's ever been born, every little baby that's ever been aborted, God looks at that child, looks at that life, and he treasures that life. God looks at life the moment it starts, and he says, there is something I cherish. There is something that is precious to me. And so how then can something that God considers precious and lovely and an heritage, a holy thing, how can that life not matter? What a lie of the devil that life doesn't matter. That it's just a clump of cells. It's just a heartbeat. Remove it and move on. That is the attitude and that is the mindset that comes all the way back to the fall in the Garden of Eden from the father of lies himself. Life is precious. Life is wonderful. And every life ever born is born with God knowing who that person is and what that person is. Life is precious to God. Life was created by God. In the very beginning in Genesis 2, verse number 7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You would not be here today if it had not been for God. If you hate God, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, that's okay. You do you. That'll be on you to answer for. But understand something. With all the love in my heart, the truth in love is that God made you. God created you. And that God, every time you take a breath, he is proved in who he is and his capability. Even people who hate God, every time they breathe, they breathe God's air. Every time their heart beats, God initiated that heartbeat. He's the one that put the electricity in your left ventricle, in the SA node, in the AV node of your heart to keep you in perfect sinus rhythm. He's the one that opened up your lungs when you came out of your mama's womb and gave you life. And he's the God that will sustain you to the very end of your life. God is not irrelevant. 
And life is precious because God says it's precious and because God created life. And imagine being bold enough to say, I don't believe there's a God. I hate the idea of God. And God just allowing you to live anyway. What mercy, what grace. That's what He did for me. 15 years old, bold in my sin, on my way to an eternity separated from God. I was no different than any other lost person. I was just simply lost and undone without Jesus. But He let me live long enough in 15 years of rebellion to be born again. Happened right here on this campus in 2005. You see, I've got two birthdays. March the 19th is my natural born birthday. But then there's a date in June of 2005, which was my second birth. My life was precious because God said it was precious. And understand this about life, this lie that life doesn't matter. Thirdly, understand that life has eternal consequence. You see, everything that happens in this life, all that matters at the end of the day is what is done with and how one responds to the truth of who Jesus is. Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's every person in the room. That's every person that's watching online. All of us. Even the guy behind the pulpit. Even the people in the choir. Even the volunteers that are working today so lovingly. All of us. All of us. Have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory, His expectation, His standard. And God said in the sixth chapter of Romans that the wages of, this, of that sin, the cost that you have to pay for that sin that's unforgiven is death. And so what happens here on earth, the reason life is so important and why uh, timing is so urgent is because the Bible says that life is but a vapor. James says you are not promised tomorrow. Nobody is promised tomorrow. And this life, it'll come and it'll go just like when you open a boiling pot of water on the stove and that initial steam, that vapor lets go and then it's gone. What if you're given a hundred years? At the end of that 100 years, it will not matter how much money you have. It will not matter how big your house is. It will not matter about the online influence that you've built or, or how many clothes and shoes you have. All that will matter is what you have done with, how you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. And see, everyone here in this room has something in common. Everyone here has something in common. And it's the fact that all of us will spend an eternity somewhere. You say, I refuse to participate in the idea. You will spend eternity somewhere. Well, I'm a good person. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't do anything really that's bad. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I've lied before, but I, I've never killed anybody. You see, God is so holy, He's so righteous, He's so perfect that any sin, anything, any infraction that happens between me and God is enough to be separated from God. That's why we're born that way. It's in our nature. And everyone here has that one thing in common that will spend eternity somewhere. But there is a dividing line. There is a dividing line. And, and the dividing line is not socioeconomic. It's not white. It's not black. It's not Asian. It's not Hispanic. It's not about how much money you make every year. It's not about where you come from, your pedigree, or how many college degrees you can hang on your wall. That's not the dividing line. 
The dividing line is made in blood. And you're either on one side of the blood or the other. And we talked about this morning, the the blood that was shed on the cross of Jesus. The punishment, the wrath that I should have uh, experienced, that I should take on because of my sin and my wickedness. At that moment where Jesus gave up himself on the cross as his blood was shed, it was the only thing that could suffice the justification and the sanctification of a holy God to be able to look at me with pity, but to look at me as a son and say, because of Jesus, when I look at Winston... When I look at Nathan, when I look at Doug, when I look at David, I don't see their sin. I don't see their failure. I don't see their dirtiness. All I see is forgiveness because of the blood of my son. And there are two types of people here. There are those who have had the forgiveness of sin cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. And there are those who are yet to be forgiven, but there are consequences to both. The consequence of being saved, forgiven, regenerated, forgiven by the blood of Jesus is that you are guaranteed for all of eternity. I said all of eternity to spend that eternity in the eternal presence of God with forgiveness applied to you forever and ever and ever. Then there are those that are here. When God looks at you, there's no blood to be found. There's been no forgiveness of sin. There's the free gift. There's what Christ accomplished on the cross. But when he looks at you, he sees the failure. The Bible even says that in that state of a dead spiritual man, that when God looks at one who has not had his sin forgiven, that sin that is the root of every problem and issue in this world is actually entity with God. It wars against who God is. And it's only through and by the blood of Jesus Christ, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And there are people here today who have been forgiven and there are those who can be forgiven but have yet to be forgiven. Life matters because it is the vapor, it is the time, and it is the place where eternity is secured. Let's pretend that life is a baseball game. Who loves baseball? Raise your hand. Boy, you're my friends. I love baseball too. Team USA, did you see that last night? Venezuela just let that pitch go. Trey Turner hit a grand slam. What a great game. But let's pretend, let's pretend that the first inning of that baseball game would set the result of the rest of the baseball game. But this baseball game does not have nine innings. This baseball game doesn't have 50 innings. It doesn't even have a thousand innings or a million innings or a billion innings. This baseball game keeps going over and over and over and over and over. Forever and ever. There is no end to the game. Eternity is coming for everyone in the room. But the vapor, the quick moment of the first inning is all that matters when it comes down to what will happen for the rest of the game. 
And you can have your time and you can do what you want and you can stop paying attention to the coach and what he's telling you to do and what he expects of you. And yes, you can enjoy the first inning sitting there in what you want to do, picking the flowers in the outfield. Or you can pay attention to what the coach is saying. And he's saying, hey, there is a preparation to be made for the rest of the game. The enemy's on the bleachers and he's telling you to do what you want to do. Have fun. The rest of the game will be the rest of the game. It is what it is. You do what you want to do. You don't have to listen to the authority. You don't have to listen to the coach. We got the rest of the game. When in the end, he is your enemy. And all he wants you to do is to come over to the loser's dugout with him and spend an eternity away from where you should be. All that matters in this vapor is what you do now with Jesus. What you do now with the gospel. This verse in James 4 says that you are not promised tomorrow. You don't even know what tomorrow will be. What is your life? It is a vapor. It's a little time. But it has such eternal consequence. Life is so important. And for those that have believed the lie that life really doesn't matter, the truth exposes the lie. Lastly, as we close this morning, probably the most dangerous lie is the lie that there is no hope. The lie that there is no hope. You see, the truth is because God is God and will always be God, and because you're here and you have life, because you have blood pumping in your veins and air in your lungs, there is hope. You see, the enemy, Satan, even your flesh, the world around you, it will point to all the bad things that are happening. It'll point to all the death and all the destruction and it will say to you and it'll even preach to you the doctrine of no hope. And when you look in this world and you look for real hope, sustaining hope, changing hope, hope that you can hold to, you're right. In this world, as it is, you will find very little beauty and very little hope. The world that we're living in is dark. Can we all agree that this world is changing right before our very eyes? The days of Mayberry have been eroded away. Listen, we voted away those days. We got too big for our britches. We got too smart. And we took what God had given us, that post-World War II generation that had paid so much for us to live in the blessing and the bounty of God, and we simply just gave it away. Those days are over. The world is dark, it's mean, the world is not fair, the world will consume your children. There is a concerted effort, there is a plan, the operatives, the government that Satan has at his control is warring every day for the souls of your children and your teenagers. There's a war against your marriage. Our world is full of violence, it's full of wickedness, and often it is truly absent of anything that seems good. For 11 years before ministry, God allowed me the opportunity to serve our community. I got to be a paramedic. I loved emergency medicine. I was a firefighter for a while. I loved 
that opportunity to help people. It was my excuse. Lord, I, I, I can't preach. I got too many preachers in my family. Those shoes will be too big to fill. There's no way you could ever use me. And so, Lord, I'll be a good paramedic in Buncombe County. I'll be a good fireman. I'll do all that I can. Skyland Fire Department was uh, a great place for me to work. And I'll just stay right here. And I'll just do what I want to do. And it'll be okay. Bartering with God. I saw a lot of brokenness. I saw a lot of pain. I had an opportunity as a child and a teenager, even as an adult, to travel with Hearts with Hands, a ministry that was born in my grandparents' living room, and go all over the world doing disaster relief missions programs and teams. And God's allowed me to see a lot of the world, over 30 countries. And I've seen people willing to kill for clean water. I've seen desperation in the eyes of a mother in Cuba who's headed to the ration station to get her five pounds of rice or half a bar of soap that she's supposed to use for her family of five for the whole month. And I've seen the desperation in her eyes. I've seen families mourn the loss of loved ones in hurricanes and earthquakes and house fires. Dan, I have held the body of a small child who got in to her daddy's drugs that he left on the living room table when he blacked out. And I've seen the mom hand me this lifeless child. And I've seen what it does. I've seen heroin and I've seen fentanyl. I've seen alcohol. And I can see the effects that it has on people and their lives. I've seen people young and old come to a point where they believe the lie that there is no hope to the point that they take their own life. Dozens of them. I've seen it. And if you're not careful, if all you're paying attention to is the darkness and the wickedness and the vileness and the unfairness and the meanness of this world, you will come to the idea, you will summarize for yourself that there is no hope. You can go to every street in America. You can go to a lot of houses, even in West Asheville, and you will find some situations where people say, I don't see how you can see that there is any hope in this situation. I'm here this morning to tell you that that is a lie. You can't find hope in this world, but you can find it in the person of Jesus Christ. The lie that there is no hope is fake news. It's a lie. Romans 15, 13, God gives us His pledge to hope. Now the God of, of, of what? Of, of what? Of hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may, be, uh, that you may abound in hope. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, God owns the patent and has the trademark to real, genuine hope. You know why there's no hope in your life? Because there is no godliness in your life. 
You why there's no peace and hope and joy in your life? It's because you're warring against the fact that Jesus is waiting for you to respond to his call. A call to salvation, a call to hope. Miss Amber, you can help me on the piano as we close. The truth is there is hope. It's not in a political party. It's not in a denomination. It's not in the person that stands behind the pulpit. The hope is in the person of Jesus. The Bible is so inclusive. Our world is always looking for fair. We need equality, they'll say. The most beautiful form of equality that you'll ever find. The most level playing field you'll ever discover is the playing field, the ground that's at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the equality that the world tries to peddle cannot touch the equality of the kingdom of God because it says, whosoever will may come. And I don't care who you are and I don't care what you've done. I don't care what color your skin is or how much money you have. There's hope for you. If you're here today and you're lost and you're undone, if you were to die in doubt, then this is the day. This is the day where you leave this building different than the way you came. Not because of who's behind the pulpit or what's on the sign at the road, but because of hope. Christians, let me talk to you for a second. There are a lot of us that are here today and we wish there were other people that were sitting with us. Our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews. People we love. People we care about. And the truth is, they've been lied to. They're believing things that are not true. They're holding on. They're creating their life around the idea that maybe God is irrelevant or that life really doesn't matter or maybe even that there is no hope. And their whole life is falling apart around them because of the lies that are being told to them. And my question to you then is, when was the last time in love you spoke the truth? You say, well, I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can't change them. No, but if you'll look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, but if our gospel be hid, it says our gospel. This is personal responsibility and ownership. What is the gospel? It is the good news. It is the hope of who Jesus is and what Jesus is and what he has accomplished. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost and whom the God, the little G-O-D, that is Satan, of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
It goes on to say, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. When was the last time you spoke some truth and love? You say, well, pastor, they're, they're, they're children. They're, they're teenagers. They're in their 20s. They, they don't want to hear what I have to say. May I, may I challenge you with this and ask, who then will tell them? They don't come to church. They're not going to watch on YouTube. Who's going to tell them? Are, are you depending on the street preacher? Are, are you depending on a friend of theirs? Who, who have you laid that responsibility upon? When was the last time in love you grabbed the face of your child? You grabbed the face of your grandchild? said you're being lied to life matters and this is why God is God and this is what we can believe there is a consequence to everything and this is why we can believe that when was the last time you spoke the truth in love to battle to fight against the lies that have been told to your children to your babies every head bowed and every eye closed this is how I want to end today Boy, here right at the end, there is a real war. There is a real struggle. There's a real fight in the heart of someone in this room. It's palpable. How many here under the sound of my voice would say, Pastor, there's someone in my life, a son, a daughter, a friend, a co-worker, a family member, a relative, and they're being lied to. They should be here with me today, but they're not because they're being lied to. Would you just raise your hand? I have a friend, a son, a daughter, an acquaintance, hands all over the building. People that are being lied to. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that's a pastor? According to what you've told me today, I've been lied to. I've believed my own flesh. I've believed the lies of the enemy. I, I, I've questioned, I've doubted whether God is even who he really said he was. And I'm struggling because I'm being lied to. And I need today to lean into the truth and believe what the truth says. Would you just be man enough, woman enough to raise your hand? No one's going to come to you or embarrass you. God bless you, sir. Is there anyone else? I've been lied to. I want to cling to the truth today. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you for your boldness. Anyone else? There's two precious adults that have raised their hand. Anyone else? Here's what I want us to do. Miss Amber's going to sing. If you're here today and you're lost and undone without Jesus, if you don't have peace about leaving the building, I want you to come and find me or one of the pastors, one of the deacons that will be in the altar. We can take the Word of God and show you what the truth is. But for all of those hands that were raised, the lives that were represented, the sons and the daughters, here's what we're going to come pray for. We're going to obviously pray for them that God will prepare their heart. But then we're going to pray for us. We're going to pray that we will step up to be who God expects us to be. 
that God will open up opportunity, that God will give us the timing, that God will give us the right words, the right attitude, and the heart and compassion enough to share the truth and love. That there is coming an eternity that no one's promised tomorrow. For all those people that raised your hand for a friend or a family, would you just start standing up right where you are, one by one, and would you come call their name? before the Lord. If you want God to save your son, would you come and pray? If you want God to save your daughter, would you come and pray? If there's a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a loved one, would you just bring their name here now and ask God to give you the opportunity to speak the truth in love? There were dozens and dozens of hands all over this building for the two adults that raised their hand. You've been lied to. If you want some help this morning, we'll be right here. We'll take the word of God. We'll show you what it means. Miss Amber, you sing. their name. bowed every eye closed for just a moment many are returning to their seat is there anyone here I'm just going to ask plainly and bluntly is there anyone here today that's lost God the Holy Ghost is dealing with you he's drawing you he's convicting you your hands are sweaty your heart is racing you're making excuse after excuse on why you won't respond and maybe you're set pride in your rebellion that you're not going to come today. There's nothing I can do to persuade you. There's nothing I can do to change your mind. I'm fully aware of that. But I do want the opportunity to pray for you. 
there's anybody here, man enough, woman enough to say, Pastor, I'm lost and I know it. But I want you to pray that God allows me to live long enough to repent. Every head bowed, no one looking around. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice to say, Pastor, that's me. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you for your boldness. Holy Father, in Jesus' name. Holy Father, in Jesus' name. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, I pray that the lies of the enemy would be subverted. God, that you'd push back doubt and fear. God, that you would execute pride. Lord, that you would offer a space of grace. You've seen the precious hand that was raised. My Lord, do what only you can. Holy Ghost of God, do what only you can. Open the eyes and the timing set before the world. Lord, spare that person's life. Allow them to live. give you this service. Lord, we've tried to preach what you put in our heart to the best of our ability. And now, Father, we lay it at your feet. You do what only you can do. We pray that you would find everything that's been accomplished here today. Lord, that you would be pleased. Father, you would take it and receive it for your glory and for your honor. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a precious time here today. Miss Amber's going to keep praying, keep playing.